and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Captain America The Winter Soldier, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo and released in 2014. This episode will contain spoilers. The plot of Captain America 2 is Steve Rogers, aka Captain America, is living quietly in Washington DC and trying to adjust to the modern world. But when a S.H.I.E.L.D. colleague comes under attack, Steve becomes embroiled in a web of intrigue that threatens to put the world at risk. Joining forces with the Black Widow, Captain America struggles to expose the ever-widening conspiracy while fighting off professional assassins sent to silence him at every turn. When the full scope of the villainous plot is revealed, Captain America and the Black Widow enlist the help of a new ally, the Falcon. However, they soon find themselves up against an unexpected and formidable enemy, the Winter Soldier. Dun dun dun. Because yes. none of us knew who the Winter Soldier was no, before there the movie was came out. Absolutely no indication Sebastian Stan wasn't at all involved in pre publicity for this movie. I don't think they were trying to hide it, to be fair. No. I don't think anybody thought that it was a mystery. Um, no, I don't think it was. Because Marvel. It takes a two second Google search to find out who he is anyway. Well, Marvel has this thing that I noticed with Iron Man 3, but um, similarly with Thor, where. They are quite open about what people think will be the surprise, and while at the same time they're hiding a much bigger, more interesting surprise in the movie for you. Yeah. I was, rather unfortunately, completely spoiled for this movie. Um, I knew exactly what was going to happen to S.H.I.E.L.D., oh, like that, I had heard. Could, did you know from the comic books? Or was no, it- no, no. I, yeah, I was spoiled. Somebody um, spoiled you for the somebody movie. Somebody spoiled me accidentally. That's very rude. It was kind of my fault, because I clicked through to a link about the movie, thinking it was only a, an interview with Anthony Mackie. Right. Because, as you know, I have fallen deeply and madly in love with Anthony Mackie during the press for this movie. And so um, I wanted to read the interview of him, and I clicked through the link, and the link had the information in it. Oh, no. Before before it had a quote from him rather than – it wasn't an interview. It was a quote from him, and it was in an article that was spoilery. And I probably shouldn't Ugh. have clicked through. And I got there and I was like, oh, Tag God. your spoilers, people. Tag yeah, them. So I had no idea. That's, um, that's Oh, that kind of sucks because that was part of the excitement for me was actually that whole S.H.I.E.L.D. has been infiltrated thing was really cool because we – and in this beautiful bit of Marvel integration, we've just had an episode this week of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where we suspect S.H.I.E.L.D. has been infiltrated and something's going wrong at very high level. Mm. It, and so we sort of suspect that something's going wrong, but I didn't know until we got into the episode. And immediately upon coming out, I'm like, what are they going to do in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now? How's it going to work this week now that we know that this has happened? And and it was really exciting. I think both of us came out of this movie just wanting to talk about it with mm. everyone. And I've been really quiet over the weekend because I knew you weren't seeing it for another two days and I, I didn't want to tell you anything. And I didn't want to spoil anybody either. But I'm so excited to talk about this. There was one thing that I wasn't spoiled for, that really surprised me, which was um, the Sitwell reveal I yep. didn't know about, and that surprised me. None of the other bits did, really. Uh, but in spite of that, it didn't really temper my enjoyment of this movie because it is such a wonderful, dense movie with such a good ro- turn from Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow that it's kind of astounding. I have to link you this article about what critics are saying about her in this movie. Oh, okay. Because nobody talks about her as anything other than a sex symbol in this movie. Uh, of course. And she's the second lead. 
She is not hypersexualized. She is not a romantic character. She is probably the smartest person in this movie. Without her, the movie wouldn't work. Mm. She's amazing, and it's she's needed so for her terrible. skills. Steve's got a particular skill set, and she is needed. Like he can't. That that the whole central theme of this is that Captain America, the world that he knows and can trust, is crumbling around him, and he's not equipped to deal with that. Yeah. She is. But it's not just that. I think this was the perfect pairing for this movie for a couple of other reasons. One of them is trust issues, which is they're both they're coming to it at totally different places where he's just starting not to trust people. And she's trying to start trusting people. Yeah. Um, which is great. And the other thing is um, he's just coming into a world of morally grey and she's just kind of coming out of one. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like, so there's a lot of stuff where they are, they're such a good team. And it's kind of like a buddy cop movie sometimes mm. or a buddy spy movie, I guess, um, where she's trying to hook him up from girl, with girls from the office, and, and uh, which is a cute little through line and, and you know, she's kind of charmed by him in spite of him being the opposite of everything that she's interested in. And so they kind of start this tentative friendship up and it's really, really nice. Do you know what it is, Katie? Hufflepuff man, Slytherin woman. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. Mm. I don't know if I like them so much as like a pairing, like a no, romantic thing. No, but they're complimentary, they a real complimentary, complimentary pairing yeah. uh, in this movie and they work really well together and it, they're absolutely indispensable to one You knowledge. know, in the, in the comics she hooks up with Bucky. Oh. Yeah, and there, well, there is a version of the comics where she hooks up with Steve, and yeah. which is very briefly referenced when they make out in order to avoid <laughs> detection, which is really cute. There's this really cute scene where they first go on the run to this shopping mall and they go into an Apple store because there's Wi-Fi and a computer for them to use. And I think, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that's a bit of a visual callback to the perfect score, which they both did back when they were first breaking into Hollywood. This yeah, hacker mo- high school hacker movie that they, I know I'm saying for the listeners. Sorry. That this high school hacker movie that they did when they were both breaking into Hollywood, you know, they're both in like silly sneakers and baseball caps and hoodies and stuff. And I think that was a little callback to that myself, but it was also a really well done scene in this really bland suburban place when we used to used to seeing these avengers in like a lot of what you see in iron man and thor and even the avengers is really high concept high tech really out of the ordinary world and you drop them into this ordinary world and they they're trying to do the same thing which is evade the bad guys who are shooting at them but they're sort of it's so incongruous. That was a point at which I was like, "Wow, all of Shield is just these two guys." <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, um, Drazik. Drazik. And- oh my god. Okay, so the people who are listening to this, at least half of you, are not going to know who Drazik is. Um, Callan Mulvey was in this movie. He's an Australian actor who played Drazik on Heartbreak High and was basically part of my like sexual awakening at thirteen or whatever it was when he was. There's this. I remember this scene where he was fixing a car and he had oil on him and he turns and he smiles. And I was like, oh. Yes. In in the 1990s, he was on the bedroom wall of many, many, many Australian teenage girls. Including me. Yeah. Yeah. And he uh, he's, recent, he's since had a car accident and had a face reconstruction and stuff. But he plays one of the um, the guys chasing them in this movie. Mm. He's part and, of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he's a bad guy. Yeah. And every time I saw him, I was like, because I'm a dork. I'm sure you weren't the only one. And Abed's in this movie. Yes. Yes, Abed from Community. Danny yeah. Pudi. He gets a tiny little part towards the end. It's awesome. I I was really excited for him. And he's he opens the door to Captain America and he's really excited. Like he's fanboying. <laughs> but at the same time, he's being Mr. Professional Shield Agent. And I'm like, that's perfect. Yeah, it was really, really cute. So uh, 
I love this movie in so many ways, in so many on so many levels, but also in in terms of inclusivity, I think this is maybe the most inclusive Marvel movie mm. because partly because um Natasha gets so much screen time, but also because the person who saves them all ends up being Maria Hill. Yep. At least once. And, Maria and, and um, Natasha both stay on the team. Yeah, they're still on the team, but we also have not quite on the team, but certainly Agent in the 13. vicinity. Uh, yeah, Sharon Carter. Mm. So there are like three women who are c- completely uh, necessary to his survival here, helping him out. Yeah. And while um, Agent 13, Sharon Carter, is like sort of hinted at a romance, there's no romantic subplot storyline going on here at all, except maybe with Falcon, mm-hmm. <laughs> who is totally the romantic subplot in this movie. Okay, he comes in and they have a meet cute and they have so much in common. Well, the movie and opens then, with their meet cute. Yeah, exactly. The movie opens with their meet cute and they have so much in common. And then he like basically ends up following him to the ends of the earth. I mean, really, he like ends up at the end of the movie, they're together and they're like... And he, he- helps him when his ex-boyfriend who's gone bad. Yeah. <laughs> he has to face off against that guy. And then, in the, yeah, at the end, he, uh, and he saves him from falling, which is totally a superhero thing to do for their fair maidens. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and then at the end of the movie, he's like, the last line is, is Falcon's and he goes, you know, he, you're going after Bucky, aren't you? And Steve's like, you don't have to come. And Falcon goes, I know. When do we start? And I was like... Oh! <laughs> Yeah, that's that's so true. The other love so story hard. that is very heavily hinted at. Did you notice Natasha is wearing an arrow necklace? Um, yeah, I saw that in. Uh, I saw that on. I saw that in Tumblr a few weeks ago. Yeah. But that was I. I was like, oh, she's wearing it. She wore it for the whole movie. Mm. It was a bit cute. It was a bit. But cute. I have to say, just on the issue of that meet cute at the beginning when they're Steve and. Sam. When they're running. Steve opens a little notebook, which is like a list of things he had missed. Mm. Now, a few weeks ago, I was I saw the first ten or so minutes of this before a screening of Need for Speed. And I saw the American version. The notebook was slightly changed for the Australian release to include some Australian things. Are you kidding? Yeah, I'm not even kidding. That was so icky and you don't need to do that. Americans, we have been Watching your entertainment for many, many years, you don't need to pander to us by putting in stupid Australian things because we think you think we will need it. Yeah, it had like Skippy the Bush Kangaroo and Tim Tams on the on the list of the second the second time I saw it. The first time I saw it, it had just the the list Star Wars slash Trek and whatever. That else. was the only one I saw. <laughs> There's others. I the people have freeze framed it. We can, we'll find it on Tumblr and reblog I have it. No idea. Yeah, they changed That's it so subtly, and it's icky, and I don't like it. Uh, but Why yeah. would he want to know about those things anyway? What relevance do they have on his life? I think everyone should know about Tim Tams, but really they're not yeah, important but- enough to be put in a top ten list of things you need to catch up on. No. No, anyway, that kind of annoyed me a little bit. I thought Marvel was better than that. But, you know, it's still whatever. It was still so it was still really adorable and they still kept a lot of the main things in, like Star Wars and all that sort of thing, which is cute. And I I did think that was a very cute little thing Steve had missed out on. He's got his little notebook. I like how they don't sort of make him a fossil. No. <laughs> Even though Natasha says I'm here to pick up a fossil, which was really funny and cute. I like that they don't make him completely uncom- uncomprehending about the modern world and stuff. Oh, no, it, and it's completely – he's now been unfrozen for a couple of years, so he's had time to do stuff. No, I know, but it's also that it, it makes him look dumb. Oh, yeah. You can't do And he isn't about. dumb. Mm-hmm. And so when he was like, oh, yeah, the internet's really helpful. I look a lot of stuff up on that. You know, things like that where it's not like the internet is so confusing to him. No, he's gotten past that, which I think is good. It's it's Well, the thing is that's a very uh, Steve Rogers 
trait in the first place. That's why he was picked for the super soldier program because he is resourceful and he's good at solving problems and he can, when circumstances change, he will change or you know ch- change his plan or work out what to do. He's or he's throw a good, himself on the grenade. Yeah, he's a really good strategist and he and he's also got an instinct for doing what's right. And so he just kind of moved on with it. You mm. know, he just he dealt with what he had to deal with. He didn't there's no whinging about skinny jeans. So that was a sleepy hollow reference there. Uh, or or anything like that. He just kind of he's like, okay, well, well yeah. He's a different kind of person. Yeah, he's a he, crane. Right. <laughs> he he can cope with that stuff. Anyway, it was just a little thing. There are a couple of little things that annoyed me with that movie and that was the first one. The second one was that annoyed you? That that annoyed me. Sorry, not that. The bit about the notebook annoyed me. Oh. Yeah. The second thing that annoyed me and I feel like I, you know, you know what I'm going to say here. The cinematography, the shaky oh. cam. I think I was sitting too close, and I saw it in 3D, so I actually got motion sick watching this. So it was not just the shaky cam. There was a heck of a lot of shaky cam. The cameras move around all the time, and that is always annoying. But and Marvel doesn't normally do it this badly. I could probably deal with it. And I think I'd like to rewatch this in 2D. I'm not actually going to take points off for it because I still thought it was a really good movie, and I still had heaps of fun. But I, the shaky cam was like unbearable at points. It was just ridiculous. And I was just like, stop, I just want to look at him. He's really pretty. But the cinematography was a bit weird. There were a lot of scenes where, uh, for example, in Nick Fury's office, there's a scene where Steve is standing there looking at a photo of something and Nick is at his desk. And the way it's framed is we basically look through the crook of Steve's elbow and the foreground is really fuzzy arm slash photo shot. And we, Nick Fury is in focus, but in the background, and we're, we've used up half the screen with Steve's fuzzy arm. Some really weird choices in cinematography, and that was that kind of shot was repeated two, three times. In the same scene, there's another shot where you can see the top of like a couch in Fury's mm. office, and it fuzzed out the bottom of the. It screen. wasn't that wasn't Fury's office. That was um that was in Alexander Pierce's office. Oh right, yeah, sorry, I, we're in Alex. Yeah, whatever. Because that we're one, in Shield headquarters. That one I noticed, and I think mm. I feel like the reason for that is that they did it on purpose to unsettle us. And I think the same thing with this with the shaky cam is that like the first movie is i mean i loved the aesthetics of the first movie mm-hmm. um i really love the aesthetics like out of it's my favorite aesthetics out of any marvel movie because it feels like that era right and i think what they were doing here was making a movie that feels like this era this era the action movies are defined by shaky cam and so i think that's a way of like and 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 also showing that Steve is really unsettled in everything because he doesn't know who he's fighting for and so he's not as firm in his, like, you know, when he's fighting mm. and stuff. The, so the detached floaty camera thing is kind of like him not being uh, being stable and being certain. And then it goes still in the scene when Steve and Natasha are talking and Steve finds his focus again. Mm-hmm. And I think they did it on purpose. Mm. Which isn't to say it looks great a lot of the time. And it is, I felt that this one was kind of a letdown in terms of aesthetics from Captain America 1, mm. which had wonderful aesthetics. But it might be a deliberate choice. I yeah. think that's a good explanation for I, it. I genuinely, I, I felt the same thing and I thought this is a, clearly a choice. I liked also the focus, like I think the fight scenes were really well choreographed and I liked the focus on the kind of brutality of Steve's fighting style because mm-hmm. he's all like blunt forces, mm. you know, like um, 
you know, fists and shields and, and, and there's no like sharpness to any of that stuff. No. And I thought, and it's a really good style for someone who was trained for the Second World War for covert operations in that particular war. Do you know, you would know this because you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know that story about Christopher Lee teaching Peter Jackson what it really sounded like when a man got stabbed Mm. because he had worked in special ops, covert ops during the Second World War. It made me think of Christopher Lee and the very close quarters fighting of that era. And so it's a very – the style works really well for someone who was trained in that era. Yeah. So it's perfect. I've always liked – yeah, that particular thing about Cap. I think my favourite Avenger, as you know, tends to waver. <laughs> I love both Steve and Tony, and I've always loved Steve. This movie made me love him even more. The Avengers made me love him. This movie, I want to have his babies. <laughs> he is gorgeous. Oh, he's he's on gorgeous. that old-fashioned motorbike in his little leather jacket. The, the shoulder-to-hip ratio. His cheekbones, his beautiful teeth, and his – oh, my gosh. And the blue eyes and the pink lips. He has such pink lips. It's very strange. Anyway, all I could think was like hideously inappropriate thoughts about him. He is gorgeous. See, I I, I really – don't get me wrong. I really liked him. There's so much man candy in this movie. Um, Sebastian Stan, in spite of being, you know, tortured and a broken little doll and, you know, feeling very sad for him. For the Tumblr crowd, that is man candy. Yeah, I know. Um, Yeah, he is man candy. And then that's before we even get to Anthony Mackie. Beautiful. Yeah, once he gets the mask off. Sorry, that's right at the end. But that's kind of the whole, like, Steve and his uh, bit of rough trade ex-boyfriend looking at (laughs) one another and then saving each other's lives. Uh, I had a couple of poor baby moments. I really did. I was just like, oh, the bit when Bucky was being tortured was just really hard to watch and I felt so bad for him. Yeah. Um. And, of course, I developed an enormous crush on Anthony Mackie, and so I went in wanting to like Falcon already, but, God, I loved Falcon. He was so great. I really liked him. His costume and stuff looks fantastic. Yes. Um, the the wings look great. Uh, the way that it moved was really cool. I just – I was, like, glued to the screen during the fight scenes, mm. which is really fun when that happens. Mm. And, and they- also he did something which I thought he was going to do. Which is um, which is when he was being shot at, I thought he would get them to shoot at the helicarrier instead of him, and he did it. Mm. And yep. I was like, yes. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, there's a wonderful bit, actually, speaking of his costume, because he's made to look like a bird and he mm. looks amazing, there's a bit where he gets his wings snapped, mm. and I physically felt the pain mm. watching that. I was like, oh, poor baby. Got his wings clipped. Oh, and it was, it was really, really effective. Yeah, and the Winter Soldier was such a good fighter. Oh yeah, wow. that was. There were a couple of moments where I was like, <laughs> when he was doing things. Well, that I was. Like, was oh, God. What was really good about this film is that in an origin story, it's all about how powerful Steve is and how he's really good at fighting anybody. But the Winter Soldier is equally powerful, mm. and that's why they're such a good match because mm. they can't beat one another. Yeah, I kind of liked how for most of the movie he didn't have his helmet on. That was neat because mm-hmm. uh, it was more about Steve than the symbol face. of Captain America. Well, I think that was we didn't use we didn't hear Captain America used as as really very much at all. Mm. It was a lot about Steve and Captain Rogers, mm. much more than it ever was Captain America. And I think that was really important because it was all about his development. But it was it's not just because of that. It's also because the symbol of Captain America has become something other than what St- who Steve is. Mm-hmm. And they're using that symbol in a lot of ways. Yes. You can see them like abusing it kind Co- of. Co-opting it against co-opting him. Co-opting it, yeah. yeah. And uh, 
whenever they said Captain America was in kind of a negative connotation, you can't control Captain America, things like that. Right. Um, so you can't control America is kind of the theme of it. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting. And he doesn't like the America that he's come into. Nope. Um, he doesn't like the lack of freedom that he fought for and all that sort of stuff. So that was really neat. Mm. I thought the Armenzola scene was a little heavy-handed and didn't really go anywhere. No, but there was a beautiful reference when Steve punched the screen <laughs> of that Captain America number one, which is Captain America punching Hitler in the face. Mm. So that was a cute little reference. No, that scene was a... Because mm. do you know Armenzola in the comics? No. Neither do I, but I've seen him in games and stuff. And he he gets put into another body, but there's like a screen in it and he is like, Talk, I don't know that. if it's a robot mo- body or anything. Right. But that's like he becomes mobile. And I was wondering if they were going to do that and how it would work. Yep. Um, and then they just didn't. He was only in that one scene, but he's still out there somewhere being a mm. computerized intelligence. Yes. That I, would, was I would assume so. I, d- I assume he wasn't destroyed by being blown up. That would be too simple. Ooh, related to that. Yeah. At the end of the movie... We got to see Quicksilver and Scarlet, Scarlet Witch, Witch, and that was a good scene. Oh yeah, they looked cool. Yeah, that was really good. Love that it. was that they looked cool, and mm-hmm. that explains how we're going to have them without having Magneto, who's their granddaddy. Yes, daddy, their daddy. Mm. Yes, so that was really handy to have. That uh, was very handy, but that was a good little teaser for Age of Ultron. We we also had the. Did you get the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy trailer before this one? No. Oh, okay, we did. I had, it was like superhero trailer extraordinaire. We had. We had the X Men trailer. We had the Spider Man trailer. We had the uh, we had Guardians trailer. We had the Divergent trailer, which made me want to see Divergent. And we had Godzilla. And I had Divergent, else. Godzilla, and X Men. Yeah, we, it was all the superhero trailers before this. And then yeah, then we had Guardians. And um, wow. Anyway, but yeah, no. So that's a lead in, far as I can tell, to Age of Ultron, not Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. at all. There's really not. Um, I, I'm still interested to see where that that goes. No, but the the um the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, lead in was in the first post credit sequence. No, it was, oh, in, it was Thor. in Thor. Sorry, yes, you're right. Um, with the Collector, mm, that was the right. that was the Guardians of the Galaxy lead. Yeah, yeah. That was an Age of Ultron lead in, and I was perfectly happy for it because I was really excited to see the twins because I'm super excited for them. Then the second post credit sequence was just poor Bucky. <laughs> mm. Uh I did. God, I mean, I don't mean it in a sort of a wanting to fix the broken boy way, but you know, but Bucky really got a rough deal out of this. Yeah. Oh, and no, he, I did just, yeah. like, there were moments where I was just like, oh, God, it's so sad. It is. Um, it's really, really sad. That's why that that that's why I think there's more to be done there. There's more to deal with in that yeah. space for him. And that's, yeah, I think that will be interesting. I do like a whole movie that has a lot of Chris Evans in it because I like Chris Evans. Um, He mm-hmm. was so good. He does such a good job as Cap. I mean, he's yeah. just, he's just so clearly understands him. Oh, you know why the Zola scene was also good? War Games reference. Oh, yeah, the War Games <laughs> reference made me happy too. That made me happy too. And, and play a game. And she starts to explain it and he's like, I know, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was great. Um, oh. What else was it? Well, there, there's actually a couple up? of cute little movie references. There's a, a one to The Great Escape as well. Steve escaping from S.H.I.E.L.D. and he jump, has to jump over the barricades with his motorbike. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in it. Like the, it's really dense in terms of themes and concepts oh, and yes. modernity. I remember what I was going to talk about now. There mm. is this great conversation with in the elevator going down to see the helicarriers between Nick Fury and Steve, where they're in the elevator and Steve talks about how some things like freedom were much better in my day. And Nick Fury just reminds him gently that his grandfather operated an elevator like this. That was the best job he could have. It was no, it was the music. 
he said they used to mm. play music in they these. used to play music that's right and he was and then he went on and nick fury tells a story about what where he'd come from and there's a couple of times that this happens and when nick fury talks about some of his origins and some of the racial issues he's had to overcome and his family have had to overcome and that was a really good way of bringing in that stuff about how when when Steve makes you feel a bit nostalgic for the things that we've lost, remember also the things that we've gained and how hard won they were. Yeah. And Nick Fury's arc in this movie is fantastic because he goes from being really compromised. He is starting to really compromise his own vision and his own ideas. Um, and that he he talks a big talk about having to compromise, mm. but then ultimately, ultimately, when it comes he when it comes down to it in this movie, he's like, "Well, it's too compromised. We can't actually rebuild Shield right now. Yeah. It's just gone too far." Um, and that was really interesting, and it was a really good. And then he burns his eye patch. Yeah, puts <laughs> on those like, oh my God. badass sunglasses. <laughs> So amazing, but mm. yeah, and and the movie was really conscious of, like, genuinely conscious of sexism and racism. Yes, I that, um, I was really appreciative of the that. Sam character was such a good character, mm. but he also was like a black character. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't whitewash him or anything in order to make him more acceptable or anything like that. Yep, he was who he was, and that was like celebrated in this movie Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really conscious of that plus um, having Sitwell come back so that like the shot in the car when it's the four of them together you've got a Hispanic guy a black guy a girl and Steve yeah and you're like that was the moment when I was like holy crap this really is the most inclusive movie and then like the team that they end up building is Nick Fury and and Falcon and Maria Maria and and Natasha and Steve you know like that's that's the good guy team at the end of the movie. Yeah. So they were really conscious of that. Right. And and it was it made some really important points. Again, uh, Sam character was an important thing about that is that in this war, in these wars that we've been fighting in the last few years, it's overwhelmingly the people who come back damaged from them are young black men. Mm. And I think that was a really important thing to note as well because Steve comes out of a time of the Second World War where the army, where everything about the army was whitewashed. And he he was this wonderful symbol of the American army, looking as he does like an Aryan god. Mm. Yeah. So that was yeah exactly. That, so that's the thing is that there's so many things to pick apart. And there's this moment when he, when they're talking about Natasha's bikini body. Yeah. And he says, yeah, because I think you look. I bet you look really ter- terrible in them now. And she look gives him this look that's so angry. Yeah. Because. And I think maybe that's a bit of ScarJo coming out in the character as well, where it's like, stop freaking sexualizing me. Stop it. It's annoying. And I don't like it. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a, I thought you were better than this, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he normally, normally he is better than that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. And then like. That's the modern world rubbing off on him. <laughs> well, it's not just the modern world. It's, it's his own privilege, I guess. Right. Exactly. He's taken the privilege into the conversation. I just thought that was neat and a good note to all of the people. Um, that's the thing I wanted to link. Yeah. I think I talked about it before. There's a woman who wrote an article about about the reviews about the reviews of Captain America. Yeah. And Black Widow barely gets a look in in them. Whenever they talk about her, they talk about her as being a um, an ass kicker in a in a cat suit. Can I just point out? She doesn't wear the cat. She wears the cat suit for like one scene in this movie. Mm. That's it. And even in that scene, she's as covered up as Bucky Barnes is, right? Yeah. Like apart from the face, but you know what I mean. Like 
that they're both in, and then Captain America's wearing a skin tight outfit for the whole thing. Right, that shirt he is in at the beginning is frankly indecent. It's like two sizes. He's wearing the shirt two sizes too small to jog in, mm. and all you can see her is um like giant pecs. Mm. Yeah, it's really terrible. <laughs> but that's the thing is that she's not sexualized in this movie. No. She is like a character, a fully fledged, really good character in this movie. Uh, she wears normal clothes for most of the right. movie. A, a, and as does Steve. Steve is out of his costume a lot of the time as well. Yeah. He only suits up for the last little bit. He, and the beginning. And the beginning, right? Yeah. He is in like his jeans and his leather jacket and so and hoodies and things like that. She dresses up in business clothes for a couple of times because she, firstly, she's infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. dressed as somebody else. And the second time she is appearing before a Senate committee and all that yeah. kind of stuff. She's not – she is a full spectrum of a female character doing a whole bunch of different things in her life who dresses in different ways. Sometimes she wears the suit, but hard, actually not all that often, like only no. when it's necessary for her to do her job. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's really, really just like... I think it's the same so with Hill, it. actually. With Maria Hill is the same. She only puts on the cat suit if she has to. Yeah. Mm. Does she even have one? I can't remember. She's in. I feel like she's in some kind of uniform. She doesn't. She does. Well, she wears the. Um, well, she's the, disguised. The SWAT uniform. Yeah, at one a SWAT point. person. But um, and then like her role in the final fight is not actually in fighting. It's in coordinating everybody. Right. She, but that's right after she saved everybody by fighting anyway. So what she? What? Yes, exactly. And what she does is show up her strengths, which is actually also one of Steve's strengths, which is in strategy and coordination, mm. which is great. It's she's shown to be like. Very competent. Yeah, she's she. But again, she has a different set of skills to Natasha. Her mm. skills are in organization and seeing patterns and putting things together and coordinating people. Like she's a really good leader, and Natasha is more down in the dirt fighter, like, infiltrator. Infiltrator. Yeah, they have different skill sets, and there's different reasons. They're both kick-ass women mm. for different reasons, doing yeah. different things, and they're like proper characters in this. Yeah. And I just thought that that I really appreciated that about Hill this time because she didn't. She doesn't. The Avengers is so packed that she really doesn't have much to do except a bit of exposition. She shoots um, – she sa- uh, saves Fury once. Yeah, she well, she has that really cool bit at the start where, where they're escaping out of the shield. But no, even when they're on the helica- helicarrier, she saves Fury at one point. Right. You, she's sort of lost in the all the other stuff that's she's, going on. She's kind of the shield sounding board mm. in that movie. Like, she is the S.H.I.E.L.D. operative who is the not Nick Fury, like, mm. sounding board for this is what's happening well, at the moment and what should we do. And She's taken on a lot of the Phil Coulson role, too. Yeah. She's – um, and I that, was surprised he wasn't in this, actually. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think it's possibly too complicated to explain in the cinematic series about how he survived. Like, I think there might be, like – Oh, that's I right. I think there's something going on. Know. They're not – yeah. They're only telling a small amount of people – and that was one of those things that I said. I think I said it when I was watching it with Jelly, but I said it to you as well. It's really important to remember at the bottom of it all, S.H.I.E.L.D. is staffed by public servants. <laughs> and so that's why Phil Coulson and Maria Hill are so important because they have this sense of organization and hierarchy and rules and procedures and doing things the right way and ticking the boxes that the others don't have because they're big fancy superheroes or they're super spies or they're – too busy focusing on the bigger geopolitical picture. Or they're rebels. Yeah, exactly. And and they actually are the rule or followers. Or scientists. Yeah, they're the rule followers and they and they're they have an important role to play mm. as a sounding board, as like that uh that coordination point, making 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 the logistics happen. Like there's a reason this logistics in Shield's name 
and that stuff is actually important, mm. but you just it's kind of one of those sort of unsung roles that sits sits under is is really supportive and important, but it kind of sits under all the people with the flashier roles. I like how all of them had like they also focused on what Nick Fury's strengths were, like his amazing ability to fight with everything that he has mm. um was in that car scene. Oh wow. You know, yeah, he which never was, gives up. He really never gives up, which was amazing. Um and like Falcon being a soldier and but being respected for that was really nice. Yep. Um he was kind of like an echo of who Steve was in the first movie. Yeah. Which was I think his role in this movie mm-hmm. to remind Steve of who he really is. Yeah. It's really oh god. There's so many things I like in this movie. I'm just like overwhelmed. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good and it's so well structured and put together. I think it's too long. Um Yeah, I I there is a scene which I don't think it need I the Peggy scene. Early no, on, we have an aged up Peggy, and I, it was it didn't quite sit, didn't really flow with the I movie very well, and the I, it was a bit like the makeup wasn't quite right on her. It wasn't makeup; it was CG. That was why it was weird. because uh, yeah, she had the really um, young looking eyes and stuff, and it looked weird. Yeah, her mouth moved wrong in yeah, a couple of bits. It, she didn't quite move right for a person who's supposed to be that age, and it was this really sweet scene, but it really took me out of it, and it sort of. It, had, it was felt shoehorned in. It didn't. There wasn't quite a right no, place see, for it I to thought, go. I thought that was really important as a reminder for audiences of who Steve was again. Because what you've got to do is you've got to establish Steve before you can break him down and then build him back up again, right? Right. And I thought that scene was really important in showing that Steve is kind of lost and he's looking to Peggy for guidance. He goes to her to help him. Yeah. And she can't because she's like losing it a bit and she's about to help him and then she kind of she goes. Yeah. And then she's like, oh my God, it's been such a long time. And oh, that scene. Oh my God. I nearly cried. But that's because I genuinely love Peggy. Like, I love well, Peggy. Well, see, I love Peggy too. And I think I just, it just upset me too much. Mm. Like, I just, I was just like, this is not how I want to remember her. Yeah, I get that, but that's who she is now. I know. And and it always felt wrong to me, actually, that Steve wouldn't see her. And of course he would. And of course he would have tried to track her down. Right. Yeah. It and felt wrong that he wouldn't sense. see her. So it it mm. makes, like, they put that in the movie because he would see her. Mm. And it's better to actually have him go and see her than just to have her talked about. Right. And, of course, it is part of that that bitterness that's coming through in Steve early yeah. on when he when he talks about how all the guys in his barbershop caught out of dead now so he, it's not like he hung out with them on Saturday night and they and I guess we've got to show that I I don't think it was unnecessary I just feel like it didn't quite work as well as I'd hoped it would it might have done better I think if it was even earlier in the movie or like yeah if or even if it like, was mm. I don't know a short in between them or something like I felt like that was a really necessary scene, mm. but maybe not where it was. It just didn't quite. There was a couple of storytelling issues with this one. Mm. It was a little bit long. It started to drag a bit in the middle. Like there was some. It didn't quite. It picked up again, but it was just kind of wasn't. It was a bit. I think it was actually spent too long in the exposition phase or the the early phase. But I liked that bit. I don't yeah. know. I don't. I don't know what I cut out. But it was. Uh, but it was not. It was just a bit too long and a bit not quite right. I feel like it had a it had a climax, then it went down a bit, and then it went back up. Yeah, and that was kind of its flaw. Like they all got captured. Yep. And that moment was so like, and it was just after he discovered that it was Bucky, and that was such a high, and then it just dropped totally in energy for a bit, mm. and they were all planning the final fight, 
And then it kind of slowly built back up and Steve had a lovely speech and then it built back up and then the big final fight happened. But we'd already gone down too far Mm. in energy. I think that was kind of the pacing problem there. Yeah. And they could have tidied it up a bit by not having quite such a long exposition part. Maybe Steve could have discovered Bucky earlier and and they could have like cut out some of all that long fighting stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I just, it just, it wasn't quite as snappy as some of the other Marvel ones are. It was yeah. a little bit slower, but okay. but I still think it's the I think it's the best Marvel movie to date. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I I except mm. maybe I I do love the Avengers. Yeah, this I really Avengers. love the Avengers, and I I like this a lot. But I think it's possible that my mark is going to reflect, even though I said I'm not taking marks off for the cinematography. <laughs> it's probably going to reflect that a little bit, just because I didn't. I, I, did, I wasn't able to be absorbed in the world quite as well just because I was having trouble working out what was going on. But then, and as you suggest, though, that is being absorbed into the world mm-hmm. because you don't know what's going on. When and we you're really not meant don't, to. Like, yeah. Although if you didn't know that Robert Redford was a bad guy from, like, the first scene, I knew where Robert Redford was a bad guy when he was cast. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, um, yeah, now he's playing the opposite of what he's always played, I suppose. Yeah, he was so obvious. That was a Yeah, that, was, I didn't, that wasn't really but a surprise. But then there was Alan Dale, and he was a good guy. <laughs> I, who knew Alan Dale is a good guy? I know. It never I happens. totally thought they were all S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. I mean, Hydra agents or something. No, not even at all. Yeah. And that was a surprise to me as well. <laughs> mm. I mean, they're kind of jerks. Yeah, but the, the world isn't divided into Death Eaters and good people, Katie. Yeah, exactly. And they were kind of jerks, but like ultimately they were they were people who were trying to do the best for their people. Mm. And that was what that council was there for, to try and, like, do the best. They were speaking for their people right. to people who were actually on the field, and so they were trying to be the voice of reason with some of these things. Mm. Yeah, They're not evil. They're just politicians. And the Indian guy stood up to Alexander Pierce at the end of the movie as well. Mm. Um, that was a really nice little bit, I thought. I liked that a lot. I liked the little nerdy guy standing up to the big, like... Yeah. Um, team, strike team guy. Yeah. That was really sweet. That was an acute little echo of what Steve was like before he yeah. had his super soldier stuff happen. Oh, they had the scene with little Steve and Bucky oh. and I was, I know, right? Like, I was like, oh my God. Oh, you guys. <laughs> and then Falcon comes up and, oh, oh, and then they have that romantic scene on the bridge. <laughs> oh. Shut up. Okay. It's just like, that was such a romantic storyline. <laughs> like when he needed him. He went to his house and he was like, come in and I'll protect you. Yeah. You've, you arrived on his windowsill. Yeah. And Sam was like, yeah, come on. Yeah. Come you in, know. guys. You want a shower? You guys look like you've been through the ringer. Yeah. I just, I love that character. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, I had I had feels. Okay. I had a lot of feels. I in had this a movie. lot of feels. I feel too. like there's a lot of things I haven't brought up that I really liked too. Me too. Uh, uh, th- this, by the way, when, oh, you probably talked about him with this, but when we got home from, we saw Lego after this. Mm. We got home from Lego yesterday and Jelly's first words were, I didn't have as many feels about this as I did about <laughs> Captain America. And I think that was my thing too. And when you hear the Lego review in a few weeks, which we recorded before this because of the unique way in this which this podcast works, uh, you will see that I'm not best pleased with the Lego movie and it might be because it was suffering in comparison with having seen Captain America first. Yeah. I mean, this was such a relief from all the stuff we've been watching lately. Well, yeah, we've been watching some terrible movies. We really have. And this was such a relief from it. And it... It goes to show how big blockbusters and big comic book movies don't have to be dumb. 
Marvel has been proving that for some time now. I know. They do an excellent job of that. I agree with you. They don't. But Noah was dumb. Yes. Big, big blockbuster comic book movies, they don't have to be dumb, they don't have to be sexist, and they don't have to be racist. In Mm. fact, they can subvert those things, and they are an excellent medium for doing that precisely because they're so mainstream and so popular. If this, you know, a million and one teenage boys are going to go and see this film and they were going to go see it anyway. If you can make a movie that's entertaining to them while also showing them racial and sexual and gender diversity, well, that's... There's not a lot of gender diversity. There's just a couple genders. <laughs> right. Well, no, yeah, no, it's true. We, we don't get into that in too much depth, but there's like different ways of doing relationships and mm. relationships between men that you are quite romantic. You can be friends with and, hot girls without right. being a jerk to them. Exactly. And in fact, sometimes the hot girls you're friends with are also really smart and could kick your ass or kick someone else's ass or help you out of a tight spot or maybe they have complimentary skills to you. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's almost – it's almost more important. Like I, like when we talk about kids' movies and we talk about how the gender role stuff in kids' movies is almost more disappointing because it's that's the opportunity you have to actually teach a more inclusive view from a very small young age. These kind of movies that are really mainstream and really big budget and really blockbustery – it when they are inclusive, that's it. It's almost more important to be that way because the audit, the reach is so big. I think the thing for me is I don't think I can get behind another white guy movie until they make a movie about a female hero or a non-white hero. I can't right. do it, and that's why one of the reasons why I'm so pissed off at Ant Man. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just another Ant-Man one. Hasn't done anything to me. It's and just Guardians that- of Galaxy, like there's just another big blockbuster with a white guy in in the lead and mm. like really and comic book and marvel like all the marvel movies and did you hear the stephen strange name drop no uh they were talking oh, about yes yes sorry i did yes yeah. you're talking about in cap yes i did in cap yeah the stephen state strange name dropping cap and um i was like i was like i don't want another white guy superhero movie and then jim kindly pointed out to me that stephen strange apparently hasn't been white since the 90s well, okay. The thing is, nice. I didn't know that because, I mean, can you name me one movie that's actually used like a rebooted character as their main lead? They didn't even do it in Green Lantern and Green Lantern has bla- been black forever. Mm, like, no. you know, they're, they're not doing those kinds of movies. So no, that, that still making, doesn't really make me. Right. They'll, they'll make the original Stephen Strange, same as they did with Peter Parker and same as they did with, um, well, yeah. Everybody. Everybody. Yeah, that's the thing. Is uh, that, yeah, and that's that's like the bitter aftertaste is that we get movie after movie after movie with white guys in it, and they're great movies and they're lots of fun. And Cap is even really inclusive, mm. but it's still about a white guy. The lead is still in the fact, white guy. Both of the names in the title are both white guys: Captain yeah. America and the Winter Soldier. Right, exactly. Not that Winter Soldier was really the bad guy in this, but then no, but he's still know. well, no, but. He's actually he, the role he fulfills, and I think he will fulfill going forward. Is more like Loki to Thor, in that he can be the bad guy, but it's more like he's an antagonist. I don't think that's going to be the role that he will fulfill. I think he's going to be more the um, project. The project, yeah. Going forward, yeah. he's going to be the one who will be like, "I am so tortured and dark, and I can only come in and help you for a scene, and then I will try and fight you, and I'll have to go off by myself." Which and is be what broody. Loki does. No, Loki is a bad guy. 
Mm. But but he will help you if he can see that it helps him. And anyway, yeah, I know, but, but it's not the same thing. Loki's doing it for his own ends, and Loki is manipulating the situation for his own purposes, and is perfectly happy to hurt people. I don't think Bucky was happy to hurt people. No, he's he just... was just brainwashed and didn't know what was happening. Like there was yeah. no Bucky in him. Right, he was all machine. He was um he was missions and and programming. Right, and he that, that and when because as soon up. as he sort of got it back. Mm. He started to change. Yeah, but nevertheless, it is important that both both names in the title are white guys, yes. and the, they're both they're you know the kind of their their it's their story, like yeah. it's their character arcs that are the most important. And in fact, going into it, you might not even know that Black Widow is the second lead. Like if you're not, especially if, you're if you read ca- the reviews, right? If you're a casual fan, you might not know that, and you just you you wouldn't be expecting that. You wouldn't be expecting Nick Fury to play the role he does, or Hill to play the role she does, or Which even Pete, uh, Sharon of, Carter. It's kind of good because it subverts it, but at the same time, we just need them to mm. make a damn movie with them in the lead, right? It's just it's just really bloody dreary. It is, and it's so annoying and frustrating and sad and stupid. Mm. There are so many good female and non-white leads. I mean, look. The first Marvel, big Marvel movie was Iron Man. He's like a third tier character. Nobody thought that he was going to be as popular or do as well as he did. No. And he just took off. And that was because Marvel is great at casting and Marvel is great at making movies and they made a really good movie. And they can do that with a woman. Right. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but they can do that with a female character. They can do that with a black lead character. Look at the fantastic black characters in this movie, right? Yeah. Like they can do that with a a non-white person or a, right. a female person. It's not like Marvel's back catalog doesn't have these great women and yeah. black men and women and non-white men and women of other races. It's not like they don't have these in in their back catalog. And also it's not like they don't have some great characters who could who would work just as well if they were cast as a woman or a black person or an Asian person or someone who isn't a Iron Fist. Aryan white dude. Seriously, if they if they cast a white guy as Iron Fist, I'm just gonna have so many issues with that. When's Iron? What's Iron Fist? It's the TV show that they're doing. Oh right, but yeah, yeah. and I I know Iron Fist is a white character. Before everybody jumps on me about it, I know he's a white character, but his whole story smacks of cultural appropriation in the first place. Oh okay. Iron Fist is like a super millionaire kid who right. He needs to be an Asian character, right? Is, huh? that, is that him? Does he need to be an Asian character? I think they, they should cast him with an Asian actor. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the, the Luke, Luke Cage one is obviously a black guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. And then Jessica Jones and Daredevil yeah. are the other ones. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just think if they cast a white person as Iron Fist, it's going to be gross. Yeah, they should do that. I think that would be nice. And sure, they've got to make the you know experiment with it on TV, but look, really just freaking do it. Like, yeah. It's getting boring. It really is. I'm just sick of it. I'm so tired of it. And it's not the note I would like to end on with this no. great movie. Yeah. Well, we should then not end on it. We can talk about So, So how, how about Chris Evans' butt in that outfit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think I already talked about all my impure thoughts about Chris Evans. There was his- a moment when he dropped the shield and I nearly cried. I know. And it was like, oh my god, you can't just drop it. What are you doing? It was so bad. It was so like. There was some interesting bits though, where he didn't, where they actually should have showed the practicality of the shield. Like he has to have it on his back at all times, otherwise you can't just show up. And then there's another scene where he he throws it and it hits something, and he has to pull it out, and then he mm. throws it and it hits something. He's gonna pull it out again. Mm. I think that's really good because it actually shows the the deep down practicality of actually running around with a shield all the time. And the dropping mm. thing was the same thing. It was kind of like. It, it it shows that he's he's 
sort of human and that the shield is no, not no, magical. It's not like Mjolnir. He dropped it on purpose. Yes. Um, when he was on the helicarrier and he was like, I'm not going to fight you. Oh, and he yeah, drops yeah, the shield yeah, when he drops the and shield. And it falls through the thing and oh. just falls into the water. And I was like, oh, no, he's the shield. <laughs> yes. Peggy made that for you. It's made of vibranium. You can't just drop it. I, yeah. Well, that's right. It's not Mjolnir. It doesn't just come back to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We c- you can imagine, though, the like dredging the Potomac just to like get all the for parts and the the shield. I'm assuming he has more than one shield. I'm assuming. I guess. I but then, given that shield has fallen and he is no longer within the confines of that bureaucracy, he m- might not be able to get hold of another one unless they can get to Stark and have him make one. Mm. Yeah. Um, I did also like, I thought you were more than just a shield and the whole um, mirroring of shield and his shield and mm-hmm. that stuff. That was neat. Yes. Um. Because you know it's Captain America working for Shield, who uses a shield as his main weapon. It's mm. uh, it's pretty much in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that and the whole the whole like Shield and Hydra logos being almost the same. And the ab- what you notice in Agents of Shield is that absolute overuse of that Shield logo everywhere. And we were starting to get so stupid, and you'd notice it so much. But then when you think of it as being like Hydra wanting to put their stamp on everything, these evil Nazi guys who've turned into this people who want to put their name all over everything. Then it makes a whole lot more sense. Hmm. Um, and the shield thing as well. It didn't used to look like the Hydra logo. They have a shot of it, the old shield logo. Ah, uh, yes, they do. Um, and then it's morphed since then. To and the old more shield like logo, the logo looks a lot like the presidential seal. Yeah, and it's changed and over the years how that's as happened. shield has changed because uh-huh. it's been infiltrated by Hydra. <laughs> yeah. And then the accidents happen thing. And so it, clever. It, it insinuated that shield that Hydra killed um, Howard. Yeah. Marvel, like its parent company Disney, does not overlook any small detail. Yeah, like that. It was really, really clever. And but that's the thing is, like, it was sort of against all of that. Yeah. Um, and it was very much against the current government concepts of freedom and protecting people and yes. limiting their liberties in order right. to do so. Yeah, it's a really important message, especially fear mongering. Yeah, in this day, yeah, exactly in this day and age of like fear mongering propaganda and the government spying on your emails mm. and. All that kind of stuff. I, uh, yeah, that was what was so funny about them. The most they, they, Nick, the, this thumb drive is so secure that Nick Fury isn't allowed to open it in his office. Mm. But when you take it to the Apple store and stick it in a public computer that anybody can use, then you can pull all the data off it. She didn't. She had to encrypt. She had to decrypt it. No, she didn't. She bounced it back to its source. Oh, well, that's she what she got. She, she couldn't figure it out. She just no. got the – oh, right. So she just she, It wasn't until they plugged it into the Arnim Zola computer mm-hmm. and he actually had to tell them what it was. Right, right, They right. never decrypted it. No, but still, like, she got more off that by plugging it into a public computer but at the Apple store Nick than didn't even, Nick Fury ever, tr- ever did. He didn't try. Well, he only he he tried He discovered to- that he couldn't get into it and then immediately went – why can't I get into it? I'm Nick Fury. And it told him that he had encrypted it. So he didn't try to decrypt it. He went straight to the person he thought he could trust mm-hmm. in order to say, why can't I decrypt yeah. it? He didn't try and like... Which is... But still, there's still like an, a, an interesting little like, you're really no more safe in the headquarters of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. than you are out in some public Apple store leaving your Facebook logged in. Yeah, but I, I just think that was a good, smart, p- practical way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Like instead of just anybody can hack into it, nobody could hack into it. No, but she could get enough information yeah, she just that. She just tried to figure out where it – so she, I think that was actually she gave it a virus. Something like that. It's they, a, don't, don't know exactly, but it's some some kind of technobabble and she worked it out where it was coming from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, was – But it was good. good that it wasn't just like – I hacked it. Now I know everything. Mm, yeah. Um, which is such a common trope 
Yeah, and it, it's realistic to like, and and that's what's so that's why the stuff I talk about earlier about them being public servants, that stuff of different levels of security clearance and all that kind of stuff is actually kind of important. Mm. That there are some real world things like she's not automatically a, a hacking genius just because she can do a little bit of hacking, mm. and not everybody knows everything, and sometimes things don't work it out perfectly and you don't get the you know you don't get the dna test results within four hours or you don't get you, you can't just hack and open up everything well camp has always been about assembling a good team mm. being a soldier being part of a team yeah, that yeah. sort of thing so mm-hmm. that worked well in the movie yeah i liked so many things i thought scarjo was so good in this no, she's really really good in this in this role like especially now that joss whedon is writing for her she's mm. he like took it up a notch she was always good because she's an excellent actress and this role is great but it sort of went up a notch in the avengers i really didn't like her in pretty much anything i'd seen before this before she did i don't think playing i'd Black seen Widow. her in anything before she started playing Black um Widow. i had seen ghost world which was a movie i hated she was all right in lost in translation i'd seen um i'd seen others i know i had yeah where she's she blossomed in this like yeah. this is the making of her this role well i think it just not only made her, but like gave her opportunities, really. Mm. Like in, the other roles weren't very good. This was a really, really good role. And she does all these, she does stunt training and she puts so much into this. I think the disrespect she gets is so appalling because she puts so mm. much effort into it and it's such a good role and it's a smart female character and people reduce it so much to. Right. She's nothing. a super spy. She has all kinds of skills of resourcefulness and problem solving. She's really. She, she can fight. She's really clever. She and is an incredible survivor. To have survived her past, like survive what she survived, is impressive. And uh, let's point out that the Avengers movie wouldn't have been solved without her. Right. She's Exactly. She's, <laughs> she's the one who, um, A, closed the wormhole thingy and, mm. and B, also found out what Loki's whole plan was. Right. Like, by playing Loki. Yeah. And, she's, and the thing is, like, she's a really good actress who is who needed a, a good part like people were trying to put her into sexy femme fatale type roles mm. and that was she's not that person i don't think you mean like lucy yeah <laughs> they were trying to shoehorn her next for her yeah mm. <laughs> they tried to shoehorn her into that sort of a role yeah when really that isn't her and she doesn't suit like she's not she's not your uh She's not your femme fatale. She's not your leading lady either. She, <laughs> um, she has a quote that's like, "You work really hard in indie films for years, and then they vote you best boobs." Yeah, yeah. Well, is- and she's great in interviews. Like, there's this, there's this great one from a press conference where Robert Downey Jr. gets asked all about yeah. the character development, and then she gets the rabbit food question. Yeah, that's what she. That's her response to it. Yeah. Yeah, and somebody asks her, "Oh, how did how did you go trying to finish the cat suit?" And she's like, "He gets the really interesting question about psychological development, and I get the one about rabbit food." Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Um, Anne Hathaway answered that one equally well. She's like, why? Are you trying to fit into a cat suit? <laughs> like, seriously, what, is, what does that matter to you? Yeah. Mm. Because they're, women's bodies are men's property. Mm. And they can say whatever they want about them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, like, <laughs> and that all of those reviews, are, the reviewers, are, I, I, I've been noticing this a lot lately because um, I look at, often look at the Rotten Tomatoes things. Yes. Me too. Um the aggregate scores and all that sort of thing. And uh, I very rarely see a female reviewer even get mentioned on the front page. Mm. 
and it's such a sexist world. Just like you really have to dig for it, unless it's Manola Dargis from the New York Times. You really have to dig for well-known female film critics. Because I did that for Riddick a while mm. ago, which I thought was possibly the most sexist movie I'd ever seen in my life. And the whole first front page, there was no review from a woman. Yeah, and I did the same thing when we did Philomena, which I thought was a hugely feminist movie, and I found zero feminist writing on it, mm. even though it, it raises a really important feminist issue and is a really feminist film. And I we talked about it on the, that podcast mm. as well. You just don't – the world of film criticism is filled with – it's a very similar world to the world of film directing. It's very male. It's not just that – it. It, it really erases female voices, mm. as you can see from these reviews. It erases female voices. And it, it is sort of designed to, um, like, minimise movies that are feminist and do have good female messages because then even women aren't even reviewing them. And so they can easily go, oh, it's just a women for, a movie for women. It's just right. like, a, like, that, like that's a special interest thing. The Kate Blanchett Oscar speech yeah. about how movies with women for women are not special interest. We are half the population. Right. And Divergent has been was top of top the box office two weeks ago with barely any pre-publicity. Divergent is an interesting one because the new trailer that I saw, I think there's one line from a guy in the yes, whole thing. Yes, this is why I want to see it. There's like one male character who speaks in the trailer. Mm. Everyone else is women. Mm. This is why we have to see Divergent. And this is why I really want to see Divergent. And this is why I'm so pleased to see it come number one on the box office because as Kate Blanchett keeps saying, um, yes, I know it was for a Woody Allen film, but the world is round. Like movies that are made about women for women are not special interest. Look, at, you only have to look at um, your mum's favourite, Mamma Mia. That is not a niche film. Mm. That is a mainstream film that made a hell of a lot of money by simply treating older women like humans who might actually be interested in seeing a fun movie about their lives reflected back to them. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly, and and that's the thing is, and Philomena is sort of similar as well. Is like exactly um, is a wonderful movie um, that your mum will love, but it's a really good like it's a really good movie. Yeah, and instead of being that your mum will love, it shouldn't be something that's disparaging. It should be exactly that's your mum's I mean. life is valid. Her experience as an older woman is valuable and interesting and worth talking about on the screen. Yeah, just as a teenage girl's experience is valid, just as um, a little girl's experience is valid just as a middle-aged woman, just like motherhood is valid. All the different facets of female life are valid and worth talking about and worth showing on the screen. You know, mad women, sad women, happy women, working women. And deserve to be um, reviewed by women. And that's right. And they need, deserve to be appreciated by the people they're made for and the people whose stories they're telling. Yeah, it's really it. It is really sad that there's so many, there's so few female voices in film criticism. Um, it's getting really, really annoying and upsetting for me whenever yeah. I look at these things, and I'm just like, because, um, what was the other thing that we saw? That Noah was so sexist, and I couldn't find any I writings read a lot about of it pointing yeah. out that it was sexist. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, which was fated, was ridiculously sexist. It was. It was awful, utterly atrocious. Every single woman who featured in that was treated as an object, treated violently. No, you know, the only reading that I saw on that was in a pro-feminist stance. Said it was feminist. The only feminist reading that I saw on it. Oh, okay. I, I didn't. I found one that written by a man, but talking about how unfeminist it was and how the women were so objectified that at one point he's literally uh, having sex with this pretty young woman on a bed of money, which 
when the actress filmed it, she was she got injured filming that because the money cut her. It, it's revolting. Like the they really the the women in that film, in order it, people who liked it will say, oh, he was being ironic. He was he was you're showing that that culture is not is not the right thing. He was making you hate these yeah. people. But in doing so, he had to treat women and the uh, little person at the beginning who gets mm. to- like when they have dwarf tossing. He in doing that. He had to objectify mm. the only women who were in the movie mm. and the only people with disabilities who were in the movie were also objectified and treated like crap. And it doesn't make it a good movie. It makes it sexist and ableist and horrible. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. You haven't even seen Wolf of Wall Street. You no. just heard me go on about how terrible that's it is. That's okay. I mean, I, I didn't – No. <laughs> the reason I didn't want to see it and I wouldn't go see it is for those reasons. Mm. But we're missing that that perspective – in mainstream film criticism is missing. Yes, exactly. Because it's and all being reviewed by men who are like, yeah, these guys are terrible. They treat everyone terribly. And But this is Martin Scorsese and he's a good old boy. Like he's yeah. part of our club. He's a, He must be, he's must a be good. He's a good egg. Yeah, exactly. I he's feel like every egg. time I th- I always think of that Monuments Man quote now whenever I think of that sort of thing. Is, right. He was a good egg. It's okay. He's a good egg. I don't know. It is just really, really sad that they're like, it's, it's such funny. an erasure of women's voices. Mm, it's funny that Captain America actually does what the Monuments Men failed to do so much better in terms of dealing with World War Two. We even talked about it when we reviewed it. The first Captain America. The first Captain America yeah. tells the story of American soldiers in the in Second World War, so much better than Monuments Men does. And there were a whole bunch of there were non-white soldiers in Captain America. Yep, the first one. There was also a female soldier who was very very important to mm. the whole story, and was a love interest who was never damseled and never you know put in that situation. He never had to save her from falling. <laughs> right. You know, like Falcon did for him in this movie. Yeah. There were a couple of scenes as well in this movie where Cap set, protected Natasha and saved her. Yep. But then she would do the exact same thing, like, mm. you know. Well, it was only it was, it was of- a matter of convenience because he had the shield. It wasn't mm. like a matter of – it was that in that particular situation, his skills and resources were appropriate to him saving her and the other way around. Like when uh, he needed somebody to track down the location of this, you know, the, the, on the thumb drive – her skills were appropriate to saving him and and when she makes him kiss her so that he can't be seen by the other guys that's her skills being the appropriate skills to save them in that situation and yeah he does exactly the same thing with falcon as well he saves him mm. using the shield at one point as well so mm-hmm. you know cuz they're the romantic subplot of the movie yeah like uh, hulk and iron man in the avengers yeah <laughs> saves him from falling yeah, I loved that. That was so sweet. Mm-hmm. The science proves. It would be yeah. really nice uh, to have a Mark Ruffalo Hulk movie, actually. I read something recently that was so sweet about the scene where Tony keeps poking him. <laughs> and yeah. instead of being annoyed, he's actually kind of pleased because somebody's including him. Yeah. And, like, you know, teasing him and, and messing around with him when everybody else is so scared of him. Mm-hmm. I like, yeah, I like exploring all these relationships, like the Steve and Natasha relationship and the mm. Tony and, and Bruce relationship. That sort of thing. It was really. Great. I will hang out in Marvel World anytime. I love the world they've built. The Nick and Steve relationship. The the world they built just needs more women. Yeah, let's go. Come and, on. and well, it needs to be told from women's perspectives as well. And also, some women of color would be nice, since uh, I think all the females in this movie were white. Yep. Again, I believe so. Uh, Agents of Shield has an has three Asian women in its cast. Sorry, no, two Asian two women in the cast. One. The showrunner is an Asian <laughs> yeah. woman. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, we're not reviewing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But I know. It's nice to talk. And again, but, it, but you have to take the Marvel tie-in. universe as a whole. You can't 
it's not uh, – these are no longer single movies. It's Marvel Universe. It's just like it yeah, basically but that mirrors the you, comics. It does make you wonder why Tony didn't sort of – I know he – didn't he retire at the last one? Maybe that's why he didn't fly out and help a little bit with the whole helicarrier thing. Right. Uh, well, yeah. It's kind of, I guess, for narrative clarity and things like that. that mm. You know, this is a cat. Yeah, movie. I know, but, but that's the thing is that, mm. like, there's no reason why he wouldn't be helped by other people in this universe. Exactly, except that he did, you know, blow up his – suits and all that kind of stuff at the end of the last one. kept one. one. Yeah. We all know he kept one. Yes, and he's clearly coming back for Avengers 2. Mm. Mm. So it'll be interesting how – I actually thought that for a minute that um, – you know how – like Bruce didn't check in? No, nobody did. Uh, you, you know how uh, very early on in this world, Nick Fury – Nick Fury, not Nick Fury. Samuel L. Jackson talked about how he'd only signed a deal for eight movies. <laughs> I genuinely thought they were going to kill him off for a bit there. I was like, oh, this is the end of his eight-movie deal. He's, he's going to be gone like, for like five minutes. I was spoiled. Oh, boo. I know. It was like – and Nick Fury went into hiding. And so when they killed him, I was like, oh, it's a fake death. Oh, I know. That's it. I – I just did the whole you're never really dead in sci-fi, you're never really dead in S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. But at the same time, I was like, well, you know what? There was that thing he very famously talked about, how he'd only signed a contract for eight movies. <laughs> and you never know. It, yeah. Anyway, I mean, they could have killed him and that would have been. No, but I really like what they've done, which is and very similar to what they did with Iron Man at the end of Iron Man 3, which is that they've left him in a spot where he kind of has burned everything he knew before and he really has to start again. So. Mm. I think they've they've got them set up for phase two of their big mm-hmm. Marvel thing, and that will be really Isn't interesting. Isn't that phase three? Maybe it's the phase next three. one's phase three. Oh, we already done phase two. Yeah. I didn't, I thought right. I didn't know. Um. Anyway, but they've really like cleared the decks on those particular characters for phase three, and I they've, done, like, they've done the same with Steve here as well. I, think. I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy is supposed to be the first phase three Mar- Marvel uh, movie. Okay, and that's only a few months away. So mm-hmm. yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm kind of looking forward to tentatively. Yeah. Because the trailer was really, really great. And you know I love Zoe Saldana and I love green women. Mm-hmm. And I'm really looking forward to Zoe and Saldana playing Karen a green woman. Karen Gillan's villain. Yep. And the little Rocket Raccoon. I Rock, Raccoon is my favorite character. I've, I've already decided Rocket Raccoon is my favorite. I've decided Gamora is my favorite because she's green and she's Zoe Saldana. Yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I, I I am actually looking forward to it. And the, the trailer is fun. and But know, it is another white guy movie and it's yeah. so annoying and I'm so tired of it. And there's only one woman in the whole lineup anyway and that's so Marvel. <laughs> yes, Mofet. Yes. It's so Marvel and it's getting really – like there's been some really great comics. I know I don't read them, but I read about some really great comics that have been going on lately with Ms. Marvel being a Muslim girl and Captain Marvel becoming Captain Marvel and being amazing. And there was a recent like team-up – where all of the team were female, but not because they wanted to make a female team, because all of their skills were the right skills for that particular mission. Yeah. Um, and they don't go on about it being an all-female team much and all that sort of thing. And you, you've just got, like... That would be amazing. Right? Like, let's kick this in the butt and start getting these things done, please. Yeah, just make it. You're Marvel. People are going to come along and see your movie. They'll yeah. trust you. We trust you now. We know that... If we go to a Marvel movie, we're in for a good experience. We trust you. We'll, and if you'll we'll turn up. If you really feel like you need it, you can always make a female-led superhero movie and stick some Hawkeye in there or something like that. You know mm. what I mean? Like, they, they did, made Captain America too, and Natasha was the second most important character. You can make a female superhero movie and have one of the other male Avengers be the second most important character. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Your audience is still going to turn up, and you might actually gain some new people. Yeah, exactly. Oh, just... I'm just tired of it. I'm so tired of it. Mm. 
no, we should sorry. stop talking because we've been talking probably right. for two hours. Uh, an hour and ten, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to give your rating for Captain America? I'm the going Winter to Soldier? give Captain America the Winter Soldier. Uh, I'm going to give it five stars because I feel generous today. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm giving it four. Now I feel really rude, but I'm- I was going to give it four and a half, and I was like, "Well, f- it." I liked everybody in it, and there were hot guys in it, and it was fun, and I really liked it. So I'm going to go with five stars. I'm now go four. make a girl superhero movie, Marvel. I'm giving it four because I really liked it and had a great time. But there, I had a couple of issues with the storytelling, the pacing, and particularly cinematography. Okay, see, this is the thing. I keep doing that thing where I'm like, I'm going to give it four and a half stars for Star Trek because I didn't like this one part, this one scene in it. And then when I saw Stoker, I was like, I'm going to give it four and a half stars because I didn't like this one thing about it. Well, and now I feel like both of those deserved five stars. See, fun- and they were my favorite movies of those years. So this year, I'm just saying, F- it. if I really love a movie, it's getting five stars okay so i i'm giving it four because that's what i think i want to give it five stars to me is the first iron man i walk out of the cinema like i'm eight feet tall and i can conquer the world that is what i will give five stars to but yeah this this is a four-star movie for me yeah that's the thing for me i'm just tired of myself like doubting myself and being like Mm -hmm. this one thing in the movie wasn't right and then i don't give the movies that i loved the most yeah. The scores that I think. And I, I yeah. but then I walked out of this one nauseous. So it's getting a <laughs> That's it getting fair. four out of five. That's but it's still excellent and I still loved it. I didn't walk out of this movie feeling nauseous. I walked out of this movie feeling like, yay, and I liked the post credit I liked the credit actual credit sequence too with all the stars and the oh, breaking it was and great. Oh, that art was great. It was amazing. Yeah. And then you were like you realized that the star was on his shield, but it was also on Bucky's shoulder. Oh no, I yeah, well I realized that in the- I know, but it didn't oh. occur to me. Oh right! Oh, see, to me that was really obvious in the movie that Bucky had the red star and Cap had the white. Yeah, anyway. yeah. That didn't like mm. it. Didn't I? Didn't brain it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Sometimes you don't know how to brain. I um, understand. I was too too busy thinking about all the other things and and poor Bucky and his pretty hair so awesome. and his soulful eyes mm. and Cap and his pretty everything mm-hmm. and Falcon and how adorable he is and his big arms. <laughs> I really liked this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was great. For such shallow reasons. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queen's Marvel Half Hour. <laughs> half Hour. Half Hour. The Marvel Hour. The Silver Screen Queens do Marvel. <laughs> the Silver Screen Queen's Marvel Hour. Marvelous. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to read the show notes or find out anything more about us or find our old episodes, you can do that on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. You can find us on Twitter at screen underscore queens. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. And you can read Katie's blog where you get cool feminist film reviews at silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Thanks very much for listening. Bye. See you next time.